For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. The Word of God. I want to first thank Pastor Icky and the pastoral team uh, for the invitation to join you this month as you are celebrating Black History Month, as you are uh, thinking about racial reconciliation within our community. It is my pleasure to um, let all of us remind all of us that God is here. God is here. Oh, I thought I would get some more amens on that. God is here. And perchance, if the challenges of life, if the storms of your own life, if the storms that are going through, we are going through in our nation, have made us forget or made us question the presence and the proximity of God, I'm here to remind us that God is here and he has a word for us. And because of that, I would invite you to join me once again as we pray. God, the one who clothes himself in fire to warm us, to light our way. Show us today how committed you are, how faithful you are to establishing justice in this world that you have created. We think about all that goes on in our lives and in our nation. And the truth is, we have got work to do. So give us the collective courage. Help us to have our eyes and ears open to what you are calling us to do is our prayer in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. Bethel. Bethel, the house of God on fire. What a chilling thought. And what's more, Amos declares that the fire will be started by God. What a shocking proclamation, an appeal that ends with an ultimatum. And certainly, as Amos preached this, as he proclaimed it, his audience were left wide-eyed, mouths open, wondering what on earth this man was talking about. God rushing like a fire against his people? Against his sanctuary? 
And then there was the alarming thought of the finality of it all. It sounded as if the fire that God ignites, no one can extinguish. And so perhaps as you've heard Pastor Icky reading, or you've read it for yourself times before, you've wondered what instigates this divine warning and this threat of fire. So let's go to the backstory. And the backstory can be summarized in one word, injustice. Someone turn to their neighbor and say injustice. Amos's declarations, as we read through the scroll that records his sermon series, it gives us a sample of some of the pervasive manifestations of injustice in his day. The injustices that were perpetuated by God's people. Yeah, that's right. God's people. And in fact, at one point, God calls Philistia and Egypt the epitome of the enemy and asks them to stand around and peer into the nation, God's people, and look in chapter 3 and verse 9 of Amos, look and see what great tumult are within and what oppressions are in their midst. Now, you know it's a bad day when God is looking for witnesses and he has to call the very people who you claim do not know God. Violence, extortion, exploitation, enslavement and trafficking of people. I'm in the text. The impoverishment of vulnerable persons and systems that made the poorer, the poor poorer and the rich richer. God says in chapter 5, verse 11, you trample the poor and you tax them unjustly in order to build up your own houses. Sexual exploitation and sexual abuse perpetrated by those who use not only their individual power, but also their partnerships in order to violate their victims. I'm in the text, chapter two, verse seven. Father and son go into the same girl and so profane my holy name. Structures that ensure that people had no or little legal recourse when they didn't have enough money or the right connections. God says, I know about your many crimes and the numerous sins which include afflicting the righteous and those who have a case and a just cause. You take bribes on the side and you turn away those who need your help because they can't offer you quid pro quo. And so you've made justice, chapter five, verse seven, like wormwood 
a herb that was bitter in its taste. Those who speak for justice are hated because the dishonest and rapacious economic policies and social practices of the day preyed on those who were marginal and less powerful than those who were running things. And those that were committed to God, the prophets, the Nazarites are coerced and told, basically, shut up and sit down somewhere. Everyone's wishing for the day of the Lord. That was the day when God would come to crush the enemies and to lift his people high and make them the leaders. Wishing for the day of the Lord. In the future, one day, but not recognizing that we have a role and a responsibility for today. The here and now, the present. And God is with us was their theme. They thought that this absolved them from the responsibility of being God's heart and his hands and his feet in the world. And so the prophet proclaims God's words in chapter five, verse 14 to 15, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of the heavenly hosts, will be with you just as you are saying. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the city gate. Perhaps then, God will be gracious to what is left of Joseph's house. Now let's be clear. The issue here is not orthodoxy. No. Some of God's people did not miss a beat. They did not miss a service. They managed to be orthodox and oppressive, spiritual and sinister, conservative and cutthroat, pious and poisonous, dutiful and dangerous, religious and rapacious. Oh yeah, their problem was not knowing what time to turn up to service. It wasn't knowing when to return tithe and offering. They could basically get their lives on autopilot, sleep through the sermon. They knew when to show up and when they were out of the doors, life continued on as they wanted it to. And it inspires or it causes God to get sarcastic with them. And you know things are a little shaky when God decides to roll out the sarcasm. Amos 4 verse 4, come on over to Bethel. 
and to Gilgal and keep bringing your morning sacrifice and your tithes and your thank offerings and your free will offerings and all the offerings that you bring because you love that, don't you? And in chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, God says, I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me entire burnt offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I don't even want to look at your offering of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Over 60 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr drew from this very prophetic proclamation of Amos in his speech, I have a dream. In it, he refers to the flames of withering injustice borne by millions of enslaved persons. And he said, we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all God's children. He continues, there are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights. When will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro, the victim of unspeakable horror of police brutality, 60 years ago. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. No, no. We are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And perhaps a reason why Dr. King's speech resonates deeply with us today is that it is shaped by the prophetic vision of justice. that allows us to dream of one day, that holds our collective feet to the fire of one day, that urges us to feel that fire in our bellies of one day. But notice that Dr. King did not mean by one day a faraway day a future somewhere down the road. Maybe the day that my children will make and create. That one day 
was the here and now. The work of the present, the work of the moment. And we cannot be so engaged. We cannot be so engaged by the hereafter, enamored by the advent, that we forget that we must embody God's justice in the here and the now. Amos's sermon series teaches us that individuals are not the only problem. Institutions are also in view. Institutions that are created in our image, systems and structures that are designed to perpetuate injustices and do so on autopilot. Racism and gender discrimination uh, these things, the evil genius of it is that it just keeps on going unless someone interrupts that thing. Bethel, a place that historically had been the place of communion with God and his people, had now become the epitome of oppression. And by Amos's day, Bethel becomes shorthand for religious apostasy. Religious apostasy, not because people lacked orthodoxy, as we've mentioned, but because they failed to integrate their theology with their lived experience. They failed to integrate their theology with the economic practices of their day. They failed to integrate theology and their social relationships. They failed to integrate their theology into public health and public policy. Integration was the issue. Bethel's brand of religion had gotten to a point where some of the worshippers even felt that the regularity of their contribution, the consistency of their attendance at the service could substitute, could be a kind of divine bribery. God will take care of your church. We'll make sure things run smoothly. But outside of these four walls, outside of this physical sanctuary, we'll take things from here. Thank you very much. And so burning Bethel, divine pyromania, a God who creates fireworks for the fun of it. Is that what we have here in Amos's prophecy? What incites the divine ire and the threat of fire is God's solidarity with the suffering. And I just want to take a moment today in the community of God to thank God for his solidarity with the suffering. I want to thank God that he is a God who sees the tears, that as the Psalm says, he records our tears in a bottle the tears of the ancestors, the tears of the present gener generation. I thank God that he is a God who takes solidarity with the suffering, that this is good news for the people of God today. And perchance you're sitting in the pew this morning and you are wondering if God sees you where you are and you're wondering if the pain that you are processing right now and the trauma that you have been through and you're wondering if 
because others don't really see you and they look past you and you're thinking that you've shown up in the service today and you look the part, you sound the part, but you don't, people don't know what's going on on the inside. And I just want to share the good news of the gospel. The good news that is affirmed by the prophetic tradition that God sees you. As Hagar said, you are the God who sees me. And that God takes solidarity. He is, stands in solidarity with the suffering. And so this is what incites divine ire. The threat of fire. Because God cannot stand back and watch as we trample on people. As we traumatize a people. As we tell people that they are not good enough. They are not the image bearers that God has created. Remember that God's revelation includes fire. He is the fire that lights the way of the newly liberated slaves, former slaves. He is the fire that keeps them warm and illuminates the path before them. And that same show of presence, the fiery presence, is what we must understand God brings to bear when he sees that his children are suffering. When he sees that his children are being oppressed. You see, Bethel, God's house, had assumed the identification as the king's sanctuary and the house of the kingdom. I'm in chapter 7, verse 13. It had been shaped in the image and the interest of the empire. And when Amos is called by Amaziah, who is the high priest, he's told, Amos, you need to pipe down. <laughs> You need to remember that this house, this institution, belongs to the king. And it's a national heritage site, Amos. Bethel is a metonym for the religious community that apathetically ignores or overtly approves injustice and oppression. And they do it so well that they still keep a full liturgical calendar and a robust membership list. When Bethel becomes Beth Empire, we've lost our way. When Bethel becomes our house more than God's, we've lost the plot and the point of it all. And Bethel today is in the line of fire when people and communities use their privilege in order to support abuses, and by support I mean directly and indirectly. Support abuses, support abuses 
by people and systems as they prey on vulnerable victims. When crimes against humanity, and let's be clear, racism is a crime against humanity. When crimes against humanity are legitimized by, by the religious establishment, we're under the threat of fire. When people look around and they, they characterize Christianity as enabling things like racism, as perpetuating, perpetuating colonialism, and racism in the service of the economic progression and the political progression of some. Racism, the systemic scandal that many professed Christians have benefited from. And during Black History Month, we cannot but talk about anti-blackness that is alive and embedded in the fabric of our very society and even in the church of God. And the fiery injunction given to Amos's audience remains relevant and applicable for us today. For us, the Advent movement. For us, the heirs of the prophetic tradition. The body of Christ is called to the vocation of justice. To tell the truth and to bear witness to all that has happened and is happening. To the past and to the present. Now is the time, Dr. King said. It is not just to talk about interpersonal racism because for many people they would say, I'm not racist. But it is for us as a community of faith to think about the way that our institution has benefited from the racism that is rife in our society and to be honest about it. To tell the truth and to bear witness and to grieve over it. And let me talk about grief today. God declares through Amos that his problem with his people, chapter six, verse six, they're okay, they're enjoying life, they're celebrating their progress and their success and the American dream. But he says in six, verse six, but they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, over the ruin of my people. And today I want to ask the question, where are the people who are grieving for the ruin? 
The word there, the, the Hebrew word, talks about something that's crushed and broken, something that a sledgehammer has been taken to. Where are the people who are grieving for the brokenness and the breaches in our communities? Where's the lament? Everyone wants to skip ahead to the celebration, but we can't get there without the lament, without the mourning of what was and what currently still is. Where's the grief? For the bodies that lie in the streets and in the hospitals, Where's the grief for the traumatized people who are, who are living in the, the, the church hurt? Where is the, where's the lamentation for those who have been part of communities where they've been ostracized and marginalized? And while the church wants to celebrate and praise and dance and sing, we, we're going to get there, don't worry. But where's the lamentation? Where's the mourning? Where's the remembrance? God says you're not grieved over the ruin, over the brokenness, over the, the oppression and the injustice. The threat of fire is one that we have to keep ever before us. And while Amos' proclamation talks about justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, the truth of the matter is we can't get to the water without the fire. A world awash with justice, a church awash with justice, hydrated, nourished, healed by the waters of justice. We can't get there unless we're willing to deal with the tension of the fire. See, we must resist the urge to water down the message. And in our lingo, in our speech, we talk about watering down the message. You know, that message wasn't deep because it wasn't from the, the prophetic. It wasn't from the deep aspects. And these people, they're just preaching love and social justice and all those things. And we act as if those are electives. Watering down the message is actually our unwillingness to face the fire. It is our unwillingness to recognize that our work is not only to do what feels good and looks good and feels positive and uplifting and things that increase our social capital, but part of our work is to call out and to dismantle and to work for the destruction of the injustices that pervade our lives and the lives of those who we want to reach. Yeah, it's divisive. And yes, people will say you're being too political. And some would even say, 
that when Jesus was here on earth, he didn't bother speaking to the political issues of his day. And to that we say, really? When you step into an empire whose leader believes that he is the representation of God on earth, if not God on earth, and you step forth and say something like, the kingdom of heaven is here and it's among you. That's not political. When you call people from the margins, from the sidelines of society, and you give them the rights of health and healing and wholeness, that's not political. When you call out the powerful and the privileged and you tell them, doom to you, woe to you, because you use your platforms and your power in order to impose burdens on people, and guess what? You're not even willing to lift a finger to help them. That's not political. And in case you thought that this preacher is in the Old Testament, and so this just represents a God who's got a thing for fires, and who likes to give people verbal lashings, but his reputation was rehabilitated when Jesus Christ incarnated as the Word made flesh and sailed among us and shared grace and love and all the nice things that people want to hear. In case you are of that persuasion, let me take you to Luke chapter 12, where Jesus said, I have come to bring fire. And I wish that it was even set ablaze right now. Oh, that's Jesus. Luke 12, 49. That's Jesus. Jesus, who is seen by some as not wanting to meddle in affairs of the state, who is seen as some as not being political, who is seen as some as not getting involved in divisive issues, things that will make people uncomfortable, calling out the wrong and the injustice. It's this same Jesus who in the line of the prophetic tradition, in the spirit of Amos, says, I have come to bring a fire and I wish it was even ablaze right now. And what is that fire? that Jesus is talking about. That fire that Jesus is talking about is God standing in solidarity with those who have been the victims of injustice. You see, earlier on, just before Jesus says that, he gives these doom oracles, which are the prophetic proclamations, and he points out to the leaders of the day that these institutions, this institution, this Bethel has become your house, Beth Empire. Jesus told them, you've lost the plot and you've missed the point of it all. And the presence of God will not continually keep silent 
when the people of God choose to legitimize either by our direct action or our complicity through our silence, God will not stand by and allow the suffering to continue. And so the call comes to you and it comes to me. Seek me. Don't seek Bethel. Seek justice. Don't prioritize your own progress. Seek me and work for those who do not have a voice to speak for themselves. Justice, that is the call for the people of God today. See, the fire only makes you uncomfortable if you're on the wrong side of things. But if you are somebody who has been waiting for somebody to speak up for you, when you've been silenced, if you are somebody who has been part of a community that historically, through policies, through practices, have found themselves disadvantaged and marginalized and oppressed, and even with all the progress that your community has made, continues to be victims and targets of suspicion, of injustice, if you are part of those communities or somebody who has been traumatized, who has been abused, who has been taken into situations that you never would have walked into yourself, and you've looked around wondering who will speak for me, who will stand for me, who will act on my behalf. If you're such a person, oh, the fire is good news. The fire means that God is the God of the oppressed. The fire means that God does not co-sign the racism and the gender discrimination and all the other forms of injustice that seem to be part and parcel of the institutions to which we belong. So today I want to invite you, as you've heard this word, if the fire is making you uncomfortable, that's the Spirit speaking right there. Inviting you to contemplate how you might lean into, live into God's vision of justice for his world. We need to get that fire in our bones back. Jeremiah talked about God's word being like a fire in his bones that he just couldn't keep down. He couldn't extinguish. We need to get back to that fire. And I'm not talking about fire that's just in the emotional feelings that you have. But I'm talking about fire that gets us into action. 
a fire in our bellies. And as a community, we need to make the collective commitment to hold our collective feet to the fire. To not lose our resolve. To not lose the vision of the responsibility that we have to be God's heart and his hands and his feet in this world. And if you're like the preacher today who's saying, this vision of justice is way bigger, way more difficult than I have the power to influence or to impact. I invite you to ask God. And as God has taken a stand of solidarity with his people today, I'm gonna ask that those who want to respond to this invitation for this vocation of justice, if you will stand with me now, caveat. I'm a teacher and I'm used to awkward moments of silence. And I'm used to asking the class to do something and have people looking at me like I'm crazy. So if this appeal is not for you, that's fine. But you've heard the word of God today and you know that where you are in your sphere of influence, in your home, at your work, in your community, you know you can lean in more and live into this vision of justice. And you want to be part of the deluge, the flooding of justice in this world. And you're very clear that what it means to be a member of the Advent movement is not to be so enamored by the here and after that you forget the here and now. And so you're asking for the Spirit to give you the instructions to inspire you. Not just as individuals, but as a community. God, would you speak to us? Would you give us the collective courage in this moment to dream your dreams, to think your thoughts, to act as you would have us do. As your daughters and your sons are standing, we are standing in your presence because we recognize it is not by power or by might, but it is by your Holy Spirit that we can do this work. And we're very clear that it means we're gonna have to tell the truth and bear witness to the suffering and the trauma. God, would you give us the courage to grieve and to mourn and to lament, 
to recognize that we cannot get to reconciliation if we're not willing to do the work of repair. As we're standing, we're standing not in our own strength, but because we've heard the call of the Spirit today that the God who wraps himself in fire to light our way and to warm us is serious about justice in this world in the here and now. God, in this congregation, there are those whose lives have been hurt, whose lives have been shaped by the injustices, the historical injustices and the current injustices. And we ask for your healing. And we're not going to place the burden of healing just on individuals to get their lives together and to move on and to fix up. No, no. We're going to be a community that says, (laughs) if you feel fractured, if you feel hurt, if you're in pain, come. We have an embrace for you. We have space for you. We have a heart for you. And we're not just going to feel alongside you, but we're going to put things in place, systems in place, structures in place, so that your story doesn't have to be somebody else's story. God, we thank you for the vision of your water, of justice that you want to flood our lives and flood this world. And we believe, we're, we're, just, we're just crazy enough to believe your word this morning, this afternoon, that if you call us to it, you will equip us for it. And so your daughters and your sons, in boldness, following your prophetic proclamations. We say we're here. We say use us in our spheres of influence. Wherever we are, whoever we are. We thank you. We thank you for standing with us standing for us and it is our commitment to you that we will be your justice do your justice love your justice is our prayer in Jesus name and the church of justice said amen and amen bless you